Amen. Thank you so much, Ken. Thank you, worship team. And uh, welcome, everybody. Glad to have you here worshiping with us at Solid Rock. My name is Blake Godsey. I serve as the kids pastor here. As you've probably noticed, it is Family Worship Sunday, where our kids and students are invited to join us in the main service, so it's good for me to see some familiar faces out there in the crowd. Um, also want to wish you a happy weekend uh, before celebrating Fourth of July. I hope you get to do all the traditional American things and eat apple pie and watch baseball and grill out, cook out, barbecue, whichever one you want to call it. Uh, maybe if you're lucky, you'll even get to take a dip in a pool. So I hope all those things for you this weekend as we celebrate freedom in our nation. But anytime we talk about freedom, it's also an important time for us to be reminded of our freedom in Christ, the true freedom that we have if we are in Christ. And so what we need to know this morning is what we have in Christ. We need to know about the freedom that we have in Christ. And then, too, we need to know what are we supposed to do with it. If we're seeking to live lives that are obedient to God, what are we supposed to do with this freedom that we have in Christ? So we're going to talk today about that freedom we have in Christ. We're going to talk about some ways that maybe we're tempted to misuse that freedom that we have in Christ. And then we're going to talk about how Jesus has called us to use that freedom, not for ourselves, but to serve and love one another. So the first thing we need to know is what we have in Jesus, and what we have in Jesus is freedom. We have freedom in Jesus. I thought I would use something to illustrate this point this morning. I want to know, does anybody know what this is? Switch it? Okay, is that more helpful? Nintendo Switch, right? Yes, very distinctive with the two joysticks on the side. This is actually not mine. I was given this by Pastor Nick. Uh, Pastor Nick said that I could borrow this. He said I could use it however I want. He said I can keep it for a little while if I need to. And so I've got a Switch for right now. So I just figured I'd come and show it, all, show it off to all of you. And while that freedom is pretty cool, the freedom we have in Christ obviously is so much better even than that freedom that Pastor Nick gave me with his switch. And we are going to actually see a few things about what Jesus tells us about the freedom we have in him. So starting in John 8, in verse 31, Jesus says this. He says, If you abide in my words, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? And Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. So Jesus makes this statement to uh, some people who had professed to believe in him. That was a little bit confusing. They didn't understand. So they were like, what do you mean we're in slavery? So they kind of throw it back to their heritage. They say, well, we're children of Abraham. So what do you mean that we're in slavery? It's a little ironic that they would appeal to their heritage in Abraham and their status as Israelites, knowing that, of course, slavery was a big part of the story of the nation of Israel, not just their slavery in Egypt, but times in the time of the judges where they were oppressed. And then, of course, we had Assyria, who conquered the northern kingdom, Babylon, the southern kingdom. 
They had several other nations that were over them after that, Greece. And then at the time that Jesus is here, Rome has kind of got their thumb on the nation of Israel. So I think we realize they're maybe not just totally oblivious to the fact that their nation hasn't always been free, but I think what they're trying to say is, well, we're the people of God. We're God's chosen people. We're Israelites. We can't be in slavery to anyone because we belong to God. But this is what Jesus tells them. He says it doesn't matter what your heritage is. Anyone who practices sin is in slavery to sin. So whether you are a descendant of Abraham or not, without Jesus, we find ourselves in slavery to sin. However, Jesus tells them that there's hope, that the truth will set them free. That even though they're in slavery, the slave doesn't stay in the house forever, but the son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, then you are truly free. Jesus gives them this hope that though slavery to sin leads to death, being set free by the son is true freedom because it eliminates bondage to sin more so than it eliminates any sort of uh, bondage that they would have uh, politically. It releases them from the thing that plagues us all, which is sin. So he's offering them that freedom that is eternal because of who he is. He also, in Luke 4, is going to open the scroll of Isaiah, and this is what we see in Luke chapter 4, starting in verse 16. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is one of the most um, bombshell moments of Jesus' ministry where he goes into the synagogue in his own hometown where we know he experienced rejection. They hand him this scroll. He goes to this specific part in Isaiah 61 and he reads this passage about freedom, about captives being set free, about the mercies of the Lord. He rolls it back up, hands it, and says, right here today, this is coming true, and it's because of me. He proclaimed that freedom to them there in that synagogue. And though the promises of this prophecy are incredibly hopeful, right? Liberty to captives, year of the Lord's favor, no more oppression, recovering of sight for the blind. And so these promises are filled with hope. But just like Jesus had to correct those others that he had told about, who misunderstood the freedom. We actually see in the New Testament, in the Gospels, and all throughout that the freedom that Jesus is proclaiming is different than a lot of the people were expecting. The freedom that he came to bring was not what the people expected. Some may have expected that he was coming to deliver them from the Romans, from some foreign power, or maybe even from the oppression of the domestic leaders, of the church leaders. Maybe even he thought they thought he might deliver them from that. But Jesus actually came to deliver us from something so much better. He came to 
liberate not only the people in that time, but us from sin itself. And our spiritual freedom can't be measured by the influence of any sort of foreign or domestic power. Without Jesus, we have spiritual bondage in our lives. We have a bondage that we cannot take care of on our own that is not changed by the shifting of any sort of national power, but it's a bondage to sin that lives in us if we practice sin. So Jesus has offered us freedom. What does this freedom look like? Well, we talked already. It's this freedom from sin, that anyone who practices sin is enslaved to sin. So Jesus has offered freedom from that through his death on the cross, through his burial, his resurrection, his ascension. He's offered us freedom from sin. We also see in scripture that he's offered us freedom from judgment. It says in Romans 8, 1, that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so though God is a perfectly just God who punishes sin, because of what Jesus did on our behalf, we're free from that righteous judgment of God because Jesus was willing to take the penalty for us. So we're free from judgment, from condemnation. And then we also see that we are free from death itself. John 3.16 is a very famous passage for a reason. It's very rich theologically and has a lot of wonderful truths for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The freedom that we have in Jesus frees us from death itself. So if we have freedom from our bondage to sin, freedom from judgment and condemnation, we have freedom from death itself, then what do we have to lose if we have freedom in Christ? Or better yet, what left is there for us to gain? We have all that we could possibly need if we have freedom in Christ through faith in him. But even though we've been given freedom in Christ, we don't always live out of that freedom in the way that we should. So we have freedom in Christ, but we are tempted to misuse the freedom we have in Christ. We are tempted to misuse the freedom that he has won for us. So like I said, Pastor Nick generously gave me this switch. He said I can do whatever I want with it. Um, I saw there were some games on there. I'm not sure, uh, Wario Party or Fortcraft or something like that. And uh, I'm not sure about those, but I do know I need to do some chores around the house today. I've got some uh, nails that are stuck in the wall. I thought I might be able to use this to kind of pry them, pry them free. Or uh, my bathtub's gotten a little grimy. I thought maybe the joystick could kind of get into the crevices of the bathtub, get maybe some of that soap scum out. Uh, my dog gets kind of bored during the day. I thought maybe a little peanut butter on the switch and just have it over to him, and he could probably entertain himself for a while. Is that what I should be using Pastor Nick's switch for? No, I know you're horrified to hear this, of course. Also that I think Fortcraft is a game. That's not what that switch is for. Why in the world would I use it to do those things? It's meant for playing games. But sometimes we are tempted to misuse something even more precious than a switch and misuse our freedom in Christ. So there's three ways that I think we find ourselves um, tempted to misuse that freedom. The first one is through license. Okay, so this idea, we know we're forgiven. We know we have forgiveness of sin through Jesus. We know that his grace abounds, so maybe we are comfortable just keeping that sin close by. We know 
he'll forgive us. We'll, we'll be okay. We, we're set. So maybe we're tempted to continue to live in sin that Jesus has freed us from. Well, luckily for us, Paul addresses this question directly in Romans chapter 6, starting in verse 15. It says, What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? So Paul asks this kind of rhetorical question, and he gives this emphatic answer, by no means. Parents, imagine if a 10-year-old came up to you and said, uh, hey, could I have the car keys? Uh, me and my friends just got a bunch of fun dip, and we thought we could go eat it in the car. Uh, and then after that, we figured we'd take a joyride down the highway. Does that sound pretty good? Of course not. Parents would be like, you've got to be joking. That's ridiculous, right? By no means. Absolutely not. Well, that's what Paul's saying. He's saying this suggestion is ridiculous. Why would we go on living in sin? And here's his rationale. The rationale is we've been released from that sin. We are no longer in bondage to sin. Why would we take on a yoke that is not ours to bear? We have that freedom in Christ. Why would we give in to sin and make it our master and follow that path which leads to destruction? So for us to go on willingly sinning, even though we have freedom of Christ in Christ, is to misuse our freedom because, again, it is on this path to destruction. But the truth is sometimes the sin that we were bound by before we knew Jesus is still something that feels very safe and comfortable to us. Sometimes sin continues to exist in our lives because it does something for us. It means something to us. And sometimes those chains can start to become familiar and comfortable. For me in my life, something that the Lord has been working on in my heart recently is just being more willing to confess when I've been wrong, to not need to always be right, to recognize I've done something wrong, admit it, ask for forgiveness, move forward in repentance. When my temptation is really just maybe to kind of rationalize, justify, cover up my own sin. And when I know that it's right to do what God is leading me to do, to confess my sin, to acknowledge my wrong, to ask forgiveness, sometimes after a while those wounds start to, being so vulnerable, starts to feel like too much. And so sometimes it seems like, wow, it was, it was a lot safer when I could just rationalize, justify, cover up my sin, so I might be tempted toward that because it feels more comfortable. But what we're seeing here is the end of these sinful habits is destructive. It may seem safe in the moment, but what we're really doing is we're putting ourselves in chains that are no longer ours to wear. And we're always going to struggle with sin in our lives. We're always going to have sin in our lives on this side of heaven until we are fully redeemed. But what we're talking about is the struggle and fight against sin, that we don't just give in and willfully continue to live in our sin and subject ourselves to that. Of course, we're going to have times where we need to confess, and of course, Jesus has covered that sin through his work on the cross, but it's that we continue to walk in our identity in Christ instead of the identity we had in bondage to sin. So sometimes we're tempted to misuse our freedom in license, but sometimes we are tempted to misuse our freedom in Christ with legalism. This idea that uh, I need to earn my freedom in Christ, even though it was given as a free gift. 
And maybe I need to prove to God or maybe I need to prove to myself or someone else that I'm worth it, that I'm worth what Jesus did for me. Sometimes we're tempted toward legalism. Paul is going to address this with the church in Galatia. In Galatians 5, in verse 1, he says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So it may, that sounds a little familiar, right? It sounds a, lo- a lot like what he was saying back in Romans 6. He's telling the people, don't submit yourselves to a burden and a bondage that is no longer yours to bear. However, here's the difference. The people in Galatia were dealing with something a little different. Let's pop over to Galatians 2, starting in verse 15. He says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So the Galatians were having this issue where they were being beset by people who were coming in Uh, and telling them that in addition to believing in Jesus, they also needed to follow the Mosaic law. So they needed to add something to the freedom that they had in Christ, which was the law. And what Paul is saying, he says, we, he's talking about him and I think fellow Jews, he's like, we are Jews and not Gentile sinners, but we too recognize that it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can be saved. So he's kind of making this argument, if us as Jews are recognizing that there's no salvation to be found through obeying these works of the law, then how could we expect Gentiles who never had this law to then magically start to be able to be justified by these works of the law? He's saying nobody can be justified by works of the law. And so this is what he's warning them about here in Galatians 5 when he says, do not submit yourselves again to a yoke of slavery. He's actually saying, that to put yourself under the influence of the law, which has no longer any influence on you because of what Jesus has done, that's another way that we put ourselves in bondage to something that is not ours, another way we misuse freedom in Christ. And for us today, we're probably not tempted to follow the Mosaic law specifically, but we can fall into the trap of trying to earn God's favor, to earn the favor of others, or even sometimes, again, to prove to ourselves that we're worth it by following a set of, of good works, okay? So there's a few different ways that that can play out. One, maybe we experience regular unfair guilt, and we heap shame upon ourselves when we can't keep these high standards that we set for ourselves, and we repeatedly are frustrated that we can't meet this standard. We feel shame and guilt about it. Sometimes we can let our success be measured by like a spiritual checklist, okay? So maybe your spiritual checklist has your Bible reading, Uh, your prayer, your fasting, uh, your giving, sharing the gospel. Maybe these things are on your checklist, and depending on how well you've done with your checklist that week, that determines how well you think you're doing with God. You think, well, I've got a lot of Bible reading, a lot of prayer this week, so I'm God's number one favorite right now, but I missed a couple days next week, then we're back to square one. That's another way we can start to find ourselves trying to earn God's favor through good works. And then sometimes, too, I think we can imagine God as like a taskmaster or a disappointed father where he's kind of got this pose, he's got his arms crossed, his eyebrows raised, kind of looking down. What are you doing? Why aren't you doing what you're supposed to? Thinking that he's just waiting for us to 
fail. But this is just another form of bondage we submit ourselves to. We have freedom and security in Jesus. We don't have to prove to him or anyone else that we are worth it. He decided we were worth it when the truth is none of us were truly worthy of what he did. It was by grace, but he decided that we were worth it. That's the only security that we need is that Jesus says we are worth what he did on the cross. And if it comes down to how well we're following Jesus in a moment-to-moment basis, we're never going to measure up. If we take an honest look at our lives and we're trying to be justified by the good things that we do, we're never going to measure up to God's standard, which is perfection. Part of being a Christian is admitting that we can't be good enough and recognizing that the only way that we get to be a part of the family of God is because what Jesus did, because he was perfect, that he was willing to take our punishment on himself. So I think a third way, too, that we are tempted to misuse our freedom in Christ is to get it confused with our personal freedoms and our opportunities to express them in our nation. I think especially as people who live in the United States, it can be easy for us to think that our freedom is measured by a set of laws or amendments or rulings, and we can get that confused with the true freedom that we have in Christ. Of course, we get to celebrate tomorrow and even this weekend the freedoms that we experience in this country, and there's nothing wrong with celebrating those. But if my measure of how free I am depends on the laws of the land, then I've missed the point. I've got it backwards. We have our true freedom only in Christ. Anything, any freedom we get on top of that is just a great gift from God. But we have to recognize that even if we don't feel free by laws and rulings, amendments, whatever that may be, that we have true, lasting, eternal freedom in Jesus. So that's how we're tempted to misuse our freedom. So how are we supposed to use our freedom in Christ? What does scripture tell us about how we are supposed to live out of this freedom in Christ? And what we see in scripture is that we are called to use our freedom in Christ to serve and love one another. That's what our call is. We see this later in Galatians 5, starting in verse 13. It says, For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. Paul reminds us uh, that he's, we are called to freedom, just like he'd said in verse 1 of that same chapter, that we are called to freedom. But what he says is we are called to that freedom to lay it down to serve and love one another. We have been given this freedom not to pursue our own selfish desires, but instead to use it for the betterment of those around us, to give that freedom in service and love to others. And we see here, too, a, a reiteration of how we're tempted to use our freedom in the wrong way for selfish desires. That's our temptation. And then in verse 15, he kind of lets us know what the end of that is. If we pursue that down the road, if we bite and devour one another, if we're in a community, a church community, a family, if we are always seeking our own and seeking to use our freedom for selfish desire, then what ultimately happens is we consume one another. We hurt one another. We fracture our relationships. 
That's not how our freedom was meant to be used in relationship. Instead, we are commanded here and elsewhere to give up our rights to serve and love others. And of course, Jesus is our perfect example of this. Philippians 2, starting in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I don't want the significance of this passage of scripture to ever be lost on us. The significance of the fact that Jesus is God himself, but instead of receiving the honor and glory and praise that was due to him, he used his time on earth to become a servant, to humble himself before us. Jesus had the most freedom. God has the most freedom. And he used it to serve and love the most. He is our example of what it looks like to use freedom, not as an opportunity for the flesh, but to serve and love one another. And the freedom we have in Jesus allows us to serve in love. It allows us to give up our rights, to put others before ourselves, because we already have everything we need in Jesus. The luxuries and liberties and glories of this world are temporary. They do not satisfy. We don't put our hope in things that are temporary. We're secure with Jesus. We don't have to fight and struggle for our place like we do in the world. There's no fight and struggle that we have to have with God to earn our place. Instead, we are welcomed in graciously into the family of God to have our place. Matthew 16, Jesus says, What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his soul? We have everything we need in Jesus. We can be free to give up our rights because we are fully secure, not just in this life, but in eternity. We don't have anything else to gain here. Our status is awarded as children of God, thinking about the prodigal son who hoped maybe, just maybe, I could go and work at my father's house, but instead he's received with love the best robe, ring on his fingers, sandals. They have a party. He says, my son was lost, but now he's found. That's who we are in Jesus. That's what our freedom in Jesus is. It's this invitation into the family of God. We don't have to earn our place. So that when I lay down my freedom for someone else, I haven't lost anything because I'm still secure with Jesus. But what I have done is I've followed the path of obedience that leads to righteousness, to serve and love one another. So what does it look like for us to serve in love then? What are some ways that we can serve in love? There are some ways in which we can do it that it are really simple, at least in theory. Maybe we give up the front seat in the car on the trip. Maybe we give up the last cookie. We let somebody else choose what we're going to watch on TV or what restaurant we're going to go to. Maybe I'm willing to do the least favorite chore at the house because I know nobody wants to do it. I'm willing to do it myself. Maybe with this switch, instead of 
destroying it with peanut butter and dog spit and all those kind of things. Maybe, you know what, maybe I'll get Pastor Nick a new game. Or, you know, maybe some of the time he's given it to me, I could let somebody play it who would really enjoy it and actually knows what the games are called, right? I could give up that freedom that I have for somebody else to enjoy. And then there are also some really intentional ways that we can give up our freedom for other people. Maybe planning an activity for someone that they really enjoy that maybe you don't like at all, but you know they love it, right? In our house, that's when my wife watches sports with me. That's her true sacrifice is to watch lots of football all during the fall. She gets a break during the summer, so it's okay. Maybe we make a point to listen to someone just so that they're heard, not feeling the need to be right, but just wanting to give a person that dignity to be heard, to know that what they're going through is real. Maybe we are intentional about doing something like that. Maybe uh, serving looks like volunteering at church or in the community, using your gifts for the betterment of others, laying down that right to the freedom you have for free time to give to the church, give to the community. However, I think it's also really important that we recognize that a part of using our freedom in the right way is having good boundaries and not serving to a point where it becomes an idol and that's now how I define my usefulness to God and to others, but instead I know my limits and I'm willing to stay within those and not make service to others an idol. And we always remember that this desire to serve, this obedience, is out of a desire to give God glory, not for ourselves, that it's because of the freedom that we have in him that we have the opportunity to serve and love one another and not some way of us trying to earn our place, but really what we want to do is point to the one who has granted us that freedom. We could have every single freedom imaginable. We could have the laws of the land be exactly how we wanted them, and we could still be in bondage. If we aren't living out of our freedom in Christ, using it to serve and love others, we're still in bondage, even if all the laws of our country are exactly how we wanted them. And we could have every single liberty taken away, and every law could be a burden to us day by day, but we can still have freedom if we acknowledge the freedom we have in Christ, and we use that to serve and love one another. All of these things are temporary. They pass away. Any laws or political parties, legislative bodies, these are all temporary. We don't put our hope in what is temporary. We put our hope in what is eternal. And what is eternal is the reconciliation with the triune God that has been made possible through Jesus' work on the cross. So as we finish up today, I'd like to leave you just with a couple of questions to reflect on this morning. And the first one, have you experienced the freedom that Jesus provides through faith in him? Have you experienced freedom that comes through faith in Jesus' completed work, his perfect life, his death on the cross, his resurrection, his ascension, his promise to return? Have you found freedom in that? We're going to have elders out in the commons. We're going to have prayer partners down here. If that is not a, a freedom that you have experienced, we would love to talk more with you about that. If you have experienced this freedom, how are you tempted to misuse that freedom? How are you tempted toward maybe license or legalism, a misplaced idea of what freedom is? How are you tempted to misuse your freedom? And finally, how is God calling you to live out your freedom in humility and to serve 
others in love? How is God calling you to use your gifts to serve and love one another? As we have the opportunity tomorrow to celebrate freedom, let's not forget the true freedom that exists in Christ. The abundant grace, the invitation to be a part of the family of God, a service and love that comes out of gratitude and a desire for obedience, not anything that we have to earn. Let's be reminded that this freedom is not just for this life, but also is in the life to come in eternity with him. Let's pray. God, we are just so grateful for the freedom that we have in Jesus. We thank you that even though we were not worth it, that you loved us enough to make a plan of reconciliation and redemption. We thank you that Jesus is our model. We thank you for your word that helps us live in a way that is honoring to you, that brings you glory. God, we confess that we are tempted to misuse our freedom. We are tempted to try to prove ourselves. We're tempted to continue to live in bondage to sin. We're tempted to forget the incredible gift it is that we have freedom in you and that that trumps all else. God, help us to be obedient to you. Help us to serve others in love. Help us to have the confidence to know that we have everything we need in you. We don't need to fight for our place. We're secure with you. God, as we go from here, continue to have it impressed upon our minds and our hearts what you've done for us, what you're calling us to do for others, and how we get to look forward to eternity with you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.